Morning Liberty. Hey, hey, man, can you turn that up a little bit? I'm not getting any sig on my beep. It sounds pretty good. I'm not getting any sig on my beeper. That throws me for a loop every single time, <laughs> by the way. We've been using the same song for hundred, I mean, hundreds of episodes. This is episode 141 of the Good Morning Liberty podcast, and we've been using a song from my band the whole time, and we just switched, what, three episodes now? We're using a song from your band, so... And so far, the news pouring in. Everybody's saying this is Oh, better. yeah, just <laughs> countless, countless requests for us to never go back to that previous yeah. song. Yeah. Well, happy Friday, everyone. It's a good afternoon liberty again it is and uh this is a good morning liberty podcast as nate as my good friend and co-host confidant business partner and pic which stands for partner in crime <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> although we haven't committed any crimes together we haven't but uh not recently but anyway this is uh we talk about every single day the li- about life liberty and the pursuit of meaning and why that's important for your life why it's important for the country and why it's important for uh, people of all ages, creeds, races, and genders yeah. to be as free as they possibly can be so that we can have a lifelong fulfilling freedom. Well, and everything <laughs> that we talk about, by the way, is not because we just love rich people or we love corporations Mm-mm. or we we love all that stuff. It's really because we care about poor people. It's because we care about people in general. As Milton Friedman put it, I think, I like this. We care about the lot of the ordinary individual. Yeah, and and what we've seen is over time, we've seen a lot of countries where they try to base their entire economy off of uh, maybe socialism or communism, and things typically go very, very poorly when that happens. Uh, but what we have also seen is that under capitalism in America, the lot of the ordinary individual has improved the most at any point in history. And so when we talk about capitalism, when we talk about all these great things in the free market, we talk about those things because we care about helping people, not just the rich, but as the rich get richer, you know what else seems to happen, Charlie? Everyone else. Everyone else also gets richer Yes, at the same time. And it seems like people maybe on the left or socialists or whoever, they tend to only think about, they really only think about the fact that the rich are getting richer. And then they ignore the fact that also the poor got a lot richer during that time. And we should not ignore that. Not only in the United States, by the way, but globally. Yeah. So if we care about human beings, then I think you have to care globally, right? I mean, yeah. you can't just be like, uh, you're not a nationalist, right? Yeah. You know, you care about human beings globally. So if we, if we do care about human beings globally, then God, we're richer than we've ever been. I mean, the fastest growing economies right now are in sub-Saharan Africa growing at like 8% GDP. It's ridiculous. And just think how much birth, birth rates are declining. There's a great book called human progress by Johan Norberg. I believe even Steven Pinker has written about this and, um, enlightenment now. And they're like, we have ne- it's never, there's never been a better time to be alive. And honestly, it's not thanks to communism, by the way. It's not. No. no. This is thanks to people being as free as they can be. And it's the ideologies of uh, free markets and free enterprise, free trade, free movement, um, and people being as free as they can possibly be. Now, of course, in other countries, they're not as free as we are here. 
in Western culture and Western society. But the goal is to get everybody there. That's why we do this. Yeah. You know, we had a guy on Instagram. Um, I'm not going to call their name out because I don't want anyone to really go to his page. And I'm not going to give him not going to give him the publicity. But he said that capitalism has caused the deaths of 36 million people starve to death every year because of capitalism was his claim, by the mm. way. And I said, so how, like, what's your tie to capitalism with that? How are you coming up with that figure? And of course, he just says a bunch of stuff about how I was just deflecting and I need to go look up the information for myself, blah, blah, blah. And so I kept asking, like, you've got to have some kind of, what countries are you talking about? Just name me some kind of country where people are starving to death due to capitalism. And he still never responded. So I went and looked it up and he was saying 36 million people. Well, the actual figure is about eight to 9 million people starve to death every year. Um, that's terrible. That's a really terrible thing. It is. And I'm against that. I'm pro not starving to death. Just if I have to get my policy positions out there, but in all those countries where people are starving to death, it was really all countries in Africa, uh, mainly pretty much all countries in Africa, and n none of them are operating in a free market uh, at all, hmm. yet somehow it's blamed on capitalism. Uh, but what these people don't do is they, they don't think about, okay, would this starvation also be there had we had communism all over the world? You know, would, would, Does that mean this starvation would be gone? Because we've seen that that's actually been the opposite result in places who who uh, took away private property rights. Um, I mean, even you can look at China. China's a great example. That's yeah. still a communist state, by the way. But you know what? Their business has become very capitalistic. Yeah. And you, th this all happened, basically. It started with a farmer. They were in these communes, and this farmer decided in his commune that each farmer in that commune was going to get their own parcel of land. It was five, uh, five families got together five and decided families. they were going to do this. Yeah. Now, when this was first, they, they begin producing like mad, like they were out producing all the other families. Yeah. And when they figured it out, they were of course mad because this wasn't, you weren't supposed to do that. Uh, but then they realized, wow, if we give people some private property ownership and we're capitalistic in our business, then we can thrive. And, yeah. you know, China went from, what was it? 300 million people starving down to like in the less than 10 now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. yeah. Now look, obviously they, they still have a crazy communist state controlled or crazy communist controlled state where you don't have freedom of speech or some other freedoms, but at least part of their market has become capitalistic in the business ventures so that they're able to produce what they're able to produce. And it's not, it's not, uh, it's almost like kind of the Scandinavian countries where they have a little bit different of a social safety net. It's not communist, but they have a massive welfare state. You could call it socialism if you want, but their businesses are ridiculously capitalistic. Yeah. And yeah. they don't, they don't have any minimum wage. There's no, um, very low corporate tax and all of that. So it's like, you can see the data's out there, by the way, you switch yeah. to tell him, tell him to go look up the stats on the other way. Yeah. Like, he was responding a bunch until I responded with, I told him the top 50 countries where people were starving to death and named out every single one of them in an Instagram post. Uh, and then said like, so just tell me how capitalism in these countries is what's causing people to starve. Like how, how is that what's happening? And of course he had responded like um, every minute I posted something until I posted that. Now he had nothing to say back afterwards. All this goes to say, Everything we talk about, 
on a daily basis is to stop that from happening. It's to help everybody. And even if the rich do get richer, the good thing that happens is the people who are poor get richer too. And we should pay attention to that and not just have this hatred for the rich, which I think is what socialism is based off of, but we should actually have a love for the poor. And we should ask ourselves, what is the best system? What is the best economic system that we could come up with that everyone could have the best opportunity to thrive? And that is, in my best estimation, is free market capitalism. It is good morning liberty. It is. That That's is. what that is. That's the system for sure. I just now noticed on this here, on this camera, like, man, my my face is very shiny today. It looks like I didn't looks like I didn't really shower or anything. I told my wife. Did you exfoliate? Yeah, I told you know, I woke up woke up this morning and I I looked in the mirror and I was uh I was just looking and I said, you know, I look in this mirror and all I see is a uh, is just an aging aging old man and I need you to give me a compliment. And she said, "Well, your uh, your eyesight is darn near perfect." I said, "You dirty dog." <laughs> Yeah, told yeah. her no, no. But I, I woke up and I was like, man, my face is really feeling just like cracky. And she gave me uh, this anti-aging cream, and I was like, my face is gonna be oily for the video. You know, it's gonna be oily. I think you look great. But, yeah, I don't know. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mainly just wanted to to tell that little uh, Norm Macdonald joke right there. So, and also you needed a boost to your man ego. I did. So yeah. you need people to comment and say, look your face looks as good as I expected it to look. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you need. Yeah. Somebody give yeah. this man some confidence. <laughs> give this man a boost. Oh, man. Okay, so we've got some news. We do have some news. To and, go through. You know, we were talking about problems in the world. There are other problems, and this is some sad news that yeah. we have to switch to. Um, this happened yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So yesterday there was a deadly shooting in California at a high school. And so of course people are like, well, what's the Liberty response for that? And we'll get to that, but I want to read to you uh, a little bit about what happened. And this is coming out of CNN and of course there's articles everywhere for this, but uh, we chose the fake news outlet of CNN <laughs> to bring you this yeah. news. So a couple of highlights here, what happened? A student went to Sagus? Sagay. Sagus, I think. Sagus. I guess. I don't know. Sagus high school in Santa Clarita yeah. and shot five classmates and himself yesterday, authorities said. The victims, there were two victims, Grace Ann Malberger, who was 15 and a 14-year-old boy, died at the at a hospital. The suspect, the suspect, Los Angeles County Sheriff Alex Vian Vien. This is this is uh the double L in yeah. Spanish, so it's V Y A. Via Nueva, I think is what it would be. Via Nueva, yeah. that's right. Alex Via Nueva said the 16-year-old <laughs> suspected gunman is in critical condition. The shooting happened on his birthday. So, from the article, the first people at the scene were three off-duty law enforcement officers who were dropping off their children at school. Uh, so that's kind of a good coincidence, I would say. Uh, Detective Detective Daniel Finn of the Santa Clarita Sheriff's Station was driving away when he heard gunshots and saw terrified children run out. He turned his car around and rushed into the school, the sheriff said. Officer Sean Yanez of Inglewood Police and LAPD's Gus Ramirez also rushed to the scene. Um, He added, all three were off duty and entered the school within seconds. 
Quote here, it's a tragedy every way you look at it, and there's a silver lining behind this, the fact that off-duty first responders were there and did not hesitate, and they rendered first aid immediately, the sheriff said. The suspected shooter in the Saugust shooting, who CNN has identified as Nathaniel Burhau, has ac- had access to weapons and was proficient in using them, according to the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. And the suspect's father was a hunter and possessed firearms. So obviously a very sad tragedy, a sad story. Um, these types of incidents are always sad and terrible. Yeah, yeah, and, they are. Uh, I think there's some some good points um, to go off of this, which is that first of all, I don't care who says it doesn't matter, but thoughts and prayers go out to the victims and their families. And I'm also thankful that there were um, some first responders there that were able to turn around and and act quickly. Yeah, to where yeah. this it wasn't they, worse than what it was. They were able to uh, render some some aid very quickly to uh, help some of the students who had been mm-hmm. shot. Uh, the the uh, the shooter did shoot himself, but they were able to go in and uh, help some kids. You know. Uh, while they were waiting for ambulances to arrive and all that. So really good thing they were there. You know, one thing that we always see, and this is uh, one of the reasons we brought it up today, is people want a response. They want to find a solution to this. They they want to find an answer. And everyone needs to figure out who they're going to blame for it, whose fault this possibly could be, and what could we do to stop it. And that's a normal response. It's a normal response that people have. But... You know, we've seen, and I pulled up all the responses, but we've seen all of the 2020 presidential candidates, and they all came out, and they basically all said the same thing. So we have here from Julian Castro, my heart goes out to the Santa Clarita community as they respond to a mass shooting at the high school. Uh, Thank you, first responders, teachers, parents responding to the scene. We cannot accept this as normal. We must act on behalf of our children. Kamala Harris says, heartbroken and praying for Santa Clarita. Incredibly grateful for the first responders who are on the scene of this active situation. If you are near the area, please listen to law enforcement. Our children and communities are being terrorized. We can't accept this. Andrew Yang, high school shooting is horrifying. horrifying. My heart goes out to the families and children. Our kids deserve better. We have to fight gun violence and shootings at every level from firearm laws on down. The time for action is long past. We must do more than mourn. Joe Biden says, another school shooting. How long will we go on like this? No could, no kid should fear their safety in school, and no parent should worry whether the kid come home. So, you know, they all they all basically say, say the same thing. Um, and, and what they're doing is they're calling for more gun laws. Of in course. Their, in their responses to this. So, when you look at the situation the obvious first question I would have to ask is what gun law, if they're calling for more gun laws in this situation, then what gun law would have stopped this from happening? Because we here we have a 16-year-old kid. Um, he just turns, this was his 16th birthday when he did the shooting. Which, by the way, you can't own a handgun if you're 16 You can. Old. you got to be over 21 to have a handgun. Uh, so he already was not legally allowed to have the weapon, which I assume was his father's. Uh, I'm, I'm just guessing. And so what I, what I want to know is what, what gun law are you saying is going to stop this? It's already illegal for him to have the gun. And not only that, but California it's, has some of the most you know, stringent yeah. gun laws in the entire country. Yeah. So what else 
could have prevented this besides getting rid of guns. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately what they want to do. That's, and and that's, I mean, and you're a fear monger for saying that, but I mean, (laughs) that is. Luckily we had Beto O'Rourke come out and say it. (laughs) That is ultimately the only gun law, I guess, that you could say would have stopped this from happening is outright making guns illegal because this was a 45 caliber handgun. Something that no one really is calling to be illegal right now, except for the most extreme people on the left. But so when you're calling for legislation and saying that we have to act, like uh, what what are you saying we need to do? That there's a problem with just going out there and saying we must act now. We must make sure the government doesn't allow this thing to happen anymore. We must enact new new gun laws. And you're using a terrible tragedy that that is obviously terrible and and should not happen and we hope never happens again and you're using this terrible tragedy where a 16 year old illegally used a firearm that they were not supposed to have and saying that somehow that the government has fallen short here and that it's the nra's fault and the republicans fault and i i just there's no room for that right here like this is a terrible time and pretending like there's something a law that could have been passed that would have stopped this from happening it's just a false sense of one it's divisive and it's a false sense of security for people it's offering up a solution it's not actually a solution um and it does nothing to solve the real problem which is that uh we have a real problem with mental illness with hatred and divisiveness between people i don't know the specific kids case or anything but if you go and you try to kill a bunch of people there's something mentally wrong with you i think we can all agree with that something is not right and instead we act like the problem would be solved just by taking away these tools that people use and that's not what the problem is and we've already proven through other statistics that we went on over some of them yesterday with you know there's been over 2,000 hammer deaths in the last five years or knife deaths or you can take anything else that people can harm another human being with i mean cain killed abel with a rock okay people have killed other people with their fists it's it, the actual problem is for thousands of years or for whatever, for as long as humans have existed, we have killed each other uh, unjustly. Yeah. And that's a big problem. Now, it doesn't matter what the tool is. And I think what we've seen here, and we did a whole talk on this, is that there is um, an emotional response that people want to have to to grab um, or uh, to grab an emotional reaction of. Uh, an emotional fix. Yeah. So that's what we have here is a lot of emotions and it's very difficult in these situations to pull yourself back a little bit because it is a terrible tragedy and it's awful. I mean, I have an almost three-year-old now and there is a little worry in the back of your mind as these kids go to school, like, my God, I hope it's not my kid's school, you know, like we want them to be safe. And I think there are actionable steps that we can take to make sure that kids are safe. Um, but taking people's guns, isn't the answer. It's never the answer. Um, because then you'd have to take everything away from kids. Like you wouldn't be able to play on the playground because you can die from that. Or you couldn't play football because you could die from a broken neck or, you know, you can't drive a car because those kill a lot of people. Yeah. You know, there's a difference between in navigating life, you're taking risk. And you can't just get rid of everything and put kids in a bubble yeah, or human or, or adults in a bubble for that matter. 
And so taking the, you know, creating more gun laws is not the answer. The answer is actually helping people find meaning in their life so they don't devolve into a condition where they think not only is taking themselves out the means to the end, but taking everyone out, taking as many people out as they can with them. Yeah. Is, is, is the actual problem we need to solve. Now on a policy basis where you have uh, an underage, uh, an underage kid being able to gain access to this firearm that they're obviously not, not even legally supposed to have, is there room for say child endangerment uh, types of, punishment when that uh, for the for the parents now his father did uh did pass away not that long ago but uh are the parents at all responsible when a minor gets something that they're not supposed to have and is able to uh harm themselves and someone else with it you know the that's a great question yeah i think a jury could decide that yeah depending on the circumstances to me that's a case-by-case basis there would have to be yeah. So were the guns locked up and he figured out how to get them out or was did the mom hand the gun to the kid, you know, cause since his father died and said, Hey, do whatever you want with this. Yeah. And I think yeah. there's some responsibility there, but it really depends on a case by case basis. And, you know, I think our, our court system, as many problems as we have with the criminal justice system, where we have a lot, I think one of the cool things about our court system and it's based on off a reasonableness standard. So would a reasonable person act in this manner, you know, and obviously a 16 year old shooting up other kids is not a reasonable person. You know, most people don't go around doing that. Yeah. So the reasonable standard applies there. So you could, you could go to court and say, would reasonable parents have acted in this way? Like, is this an accident or a tragedy or somebody actually responsible for this minor committing this act? And then I don't know, you have different, um, there's the eight, what's the called the age of attrition where you reach a certain level that, you know, right from wrong. I think most kids it happens around, you know, probably puberty, maybe a little mm. bit before then where you understand, uh, for the most part that things are, some things are right and some things are wrong and obviously killing people is wrong. And so where does that responsibility lie? I think for a 16 year old, they probably definitely know yeah. that this is wrong. So the responsibility would lie with that person. Um, if it was an eight year old, maybe the parent is responsible because they did not properly handle their firearm. And look, as a gun owner, it's your responsibility to where kids can't harm themselves or other people. You know, I have a safe in my house and then, um, that I lost, but it's I, gone, I used to man. have it in my house, <laughs> but yeah, but you know, when it comes to responsible gun ownership, like it's you should take that responsibility on yourself so that you know that your child cannot commit these acts. I think that that needs to be that you need to have that responsibility Um, because they are, uh, you know, weapons are dangerous. They are designed to kill like animals or home intruders or whatever. They're designed to penetrate the human body in a way the where the human body cannot no longer live. I mean, that's just the, the basic science of it. But the same thing can happen if I hit you with a car or a rock in the right place or whatever. There are all kinds of things that can commit this atrocity. Um, But I think to take it from where it is, and we've seen this happen over the years, is that we try to, or or I think a lot of people on the left, or at least the gun grabbers, they try to use this tragedy as a means to dictate policy in an emotional way. 
And we should never dictate policy in an emotional way. There has to be all kinds of factors taken into consideration. And quite frankly, like just removing guns isn't going to fix this. No. If there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what level of security you have. If somebody really wants to get to you, they'll find a way to get to you. Well, I mean, this kid that turned 16, he could just as easily get in a car and find a group of his fellow classmates and, and drive into a, a group of kids, if you, if you want to. I mean, anything can be used as a tool to to hurt other people. So that that's why I always just say, like, calling for these laws, it doesn't, it never speaks to what the actual problem is. And ignoring what the actual problem is which is typically what the government is really good at doing, which is ignoring the baseline issues. Um, ignoring the actual problem just just furthers this and just leaves room for this to continue happening. And so we don't need to go down that route. But we have to get on to a little bit of impeachment talk. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard, but there's an impeachment situation going on right now. That's still so going. It's still going. Yeah. yeah still but now going. we're on to the public hearings. We are actually on to some hearings. And so I- you can C-SPAN this. You can watch videos on Facebook. Or right now in this live episode, I yeah. believe, Nate, you've got some things queued up that we can talk about. Oh, I just can't wait. Oh, I have. Yeah. How much and, do you care about this, by the way? Um, I literally do not care about this whatsoever. I just don't. And Charlie brought this up to me this morning. He's like, I think we need to cover a little bit of a little bit of impeachment stuff. And I was like, it is very difficult to force myself to care about this. (laughs) I literally said that out loud because I just I do not. I just don't care. The whole premise, even if, you know, because I don't like foreign aid in the first place. I already don't like foreign aid and I don't like government corruption either. And so. If for some reason Trump even did withhold foreign aid so an investigation into possible foreign corruption would be started, I don't Good. I don't care. Good. Yeah. That like if that's illegal, then we need to fix the laws. How about we hold other foreign aid? <laughs> yeah, that's let's withhold all foreign aid unless those countries do what we want them to do. Uh, because you're giving them my money. So right. make sure that they're doing something that at least benefits us in some kind of way. And and so you're saying we should go for quid quid pro quo. Every single one of them <laughs> should, should be that. Yeah, I like they, that logic. They, they should. That's not bad. That don't give them the money unless they're going to give you something of value in return. I yeah. just don't I just don't care. How about, about we just this. keep our own money? Yeah, let's just keep the money. How about you don't take the money out of my bank account or out of my paycheck? And uh, then we won't be in the situation in the first place. Yeah, I like how about, that. How about that? Um, so this article from the Washington Times, it actually just came out uh, just an hour or two ago. Um, so the headline is, Obama officials wary of Hunter Biden's big money job, ousted Ukraine ambassador admits. So the former Ukrainian ambassador, Marie uh, Yanovich, uh, was testifying this morning. And she basically testified that even while she was there in the Obama State Department, they had coached her on how to answer questions about Hunter Biden's involvement in Ukraine with Burisma. Like the Obama State Department was aware that this was an issue and they were trying to make sure that she had the right answers when she went to her Senate confirmation hearing on being the ambassador. So she she told them that today. So it says former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yanovich, revealed at an impeachment hearing Friday that Hunter Biden's job at Ukrainian energy company Burisma Holding was a major issue for the Obama White House. 
She acknowledged that the Obama State Department in included coaching her to answer questions about former Vice President Joseph R. Biden's son, Hunter, when she faced Senate confirmation hearings for the ambassador post in 2016. Uh, so this is from a representative asking, uh, it wasn't just generally about Burisma and corruption. It was specifically about Hunter Biden and Burisma. Is that correct? And she responded with, yes, it is. So my initial response on this is, um, there may very well have been some corruption that took place here, or at least the Obama White House acknowledged that this was a potential issue. Um, and they were aware of that, and they were trying to do what they could to answer the questions properly about this entire situation. So it's just, it's, it's kind of interesting to see that even the former White House uh, was aware of this situation. They were aware that this was a possible corruption problem and that they were trying to deal with it even before Trump came into office. So once again, on this whole point of I don't care about this impeachment hearing whatsoever, um, this really is some potential corruption that probably does need to get rooted out in some kind of way. Mm -hmm. If a former vice president of the United States used his position to give one of his kids a really good job doing something he was not qualified to do. Making, and, by the way, making $50,000 yeah, a month. And enriching his family off of his power while he was in office. Then I want to know about that. I, I want to know if that is something that happened. So I, like I said, I mean, I'm not the biggest Trump supporter in the world. We've obviously been critics of his time and time again. We've also supported him when we think he does things that, you know, that we like. And this is one of those things where I can't, I can't come down on him for doing what he did or allegedly did to uh, try and investigate some potential corruption. I just, I don't know. I just don't care about it. Then uh, we've also given you the synopsis of what's going to happen. I yeah. mean, and I've seen some Republicans saying this is a, a show trial and this is all this. And like, look, this is a political move. You know, the Democrats have been trying to out uh, President Trump for the entire presidency. Yeah. They just won't accept the fact that he's the president. And we've had the Russian scandal, the Mueller report, and now we're into impeachment. And so they're going to take up his entire presidency um, or at least the first four years. And if he doesn't, if he wins next election, but they're going to take up this entire presidency with just complete backlash about every single thing that they possibly can. And now look, the Democrats have control of the house. So they're probably going to, um, recommend impeachment or whatever they do when they list out his high crimes and misdemeanors. Yeah. And they're going to send it over to the Senate and the Senate is still Republican controlled and will be by the time that all this gets wrapped up. And so they're going to be like, nah, not convicted no. No on good. all the charges. Yep. All dropped. Mm. And so he'll technically be impeached, but it won't be confirmed. And so they're not going to remove him from office and he's going to go into the next election and it might actually help them. Yeah. I think Democrats are using this as a strategy to, strat, uh, strategy to maybe help themselves, but it may backfire. This may be some, uh, it might, what does the CIA call this? It's uh blowback blowback. This yeah. may be some blowback on these tactics that the Democrats are trying to use. But, um, I don't know. I, you know, they hate Trump. They hate him. Yeah. And like, look, I'm not a fan of him when he does dumb things. There are things that I disagree vehemently with on Trump. I mean, we could talk about the debt, for instance. Yeah. And this ridiculous spending that we're doing, which, by the way, 
we're running record deficits and it's a Republican controlled Senate and a Republican white house. That's signing that's signing these unbelievable spending bills. In fact, we just had news yesterday of the government able to raise and they're there. They've debt agreed yeah. to raise the debt ceiling and spend another trillion dollars of your money by December 20th. So woo for that. And that's yeah. all done by Republicans. So look, I'm not a fan of that kind of stuff, but Trump's also done some really good things like cutting regulations. Cutting regulations is really good for a free market capitalism, capitalistic society. We need that to happen, but we've also got to reduce spending. We got to do some other things. So I'm no fan of Trump, but I'm also not saying he needs to be removed from office because I think he's also done some good things, but the Democrats hate him. They're they're not going to let this go. Yeah. And so it's going to play out, but I think it's important to, I don't know, kind of hear some of these proceedings and just see how ridiculous our politics are. And then we need to go vote all these people out. Yeah, I agree. Um, Almost all of them that are in there. So I've got a few, uh, I've got a few pretty good clips here that I'm going to, that I'm going to play. The first one is of this former U S ambassador. And it's really funny before she gives her statement. And then she's there for like 130 hours talk, answering these questions today, um, which doesn't seem possible. Um, but she was answering these questions before she gave her statements. She went ahead and let them know that she was not there for any of the things that they're going to ask about. <laughs> it's really funny. Like she was like, yeah, just so you know, I will not be able to answer questions about all of this stuff that you're about to hear. But I'll take say. your, but I'll take <laughs> your questions. <laughs> yeah. But I'll go ahead and take your questions about all of these things. But just so you know, I wasn't there for any of it. So there are a go. number of events you are investigating to which I cannot bring any firsthand knowledge. The events that predated my Ukraine service include the release of the so-called Black Ledger and Mr. Manafort's subsequent resignation from President Trump's campaign, and the departure from office of former Prosecutor General Viktor Shokin. Several other events occurred after I returned from Ukraine. These include this is President Trump's July 25, 2019 call with President Zelensky, the discussions surrounding that phone call, and any discussions surrounding the delay of security assistance to Ukraine in the summer of 2019. So she's like, I wasn't there. I wasn't there for any of it, by the way. Just uh, just so you know, any of the alleged wrongdoing, I, I wasn't there. But let's go ahead and waste everyone's <laughs> well, let's, time. Let's go ahead and talk about this for a while, why don't we? There's this other uh, really... so. Um, Jim Jordan did a really did a really good job um, questioning uh, Bill Taylor, who is a former U.S. diplomat, a high-ranking official that was in Ukraine, and asking him about whether or not uh, there was actually a direct tie to the the withholding of the funding for the foreign aid and the actual initiation of some kind of investigation from from Ukraine. Because this former official, this former official, uh, Bill Taylor is his name, said that it was clear that that was the case. He said it in his statement that it was clear to him that the plan was to withhold the aid until they agreed to do some type of investigation on Hunter Biden. And then so uh, Jordan asked him, like, uh, okay, so uh, uh, let's see what he says here. President Zelensky meets with you, Ambassador Volker, and Ambassador Sondland. And again, according to your deposition and your testimony, there was no linkage of security assistance dollars to investigating Burisma or the Bidens. Second meeting is August 27th. Again, in this 55-day time frame, second meeting is August 27th. President Zelensky meets with you and Ambassador Bolton and others. And again, there's no linkage 
of dollars, security assistance dollars, to an investigation of the Bidens. And then, of course, the third meeting is September 5th. President Zelensky meets with you and Senators Johnson and Murphy. And once again, there is no linkage of security assistance dollars to an investigation of Burisma or the Bidens. <coughs> Three meetings with the president of Ukraine, the new president, and no linkage. That's accurate? Ms. Jordan, it's certainly accurate on the first two, uh, first two meetings, because to my knowledge, uh, the Ukrainians were not aware of the hold on assistance until, until the 29th of August. So the political article. The political article. Um, the, thir the third meeting that you mentioned with the senators, Senator yep. Murphy and Senator Johnson, voice is amazing, um, by the way. there was discussion of the security assistance, but the uh, linkage. But there was the not there was not discussion of linkage. Three meetings face to face with President Zelensky, no linkage. Yet, in your deposition, you said this, and you said it again the first hour of the majority. My clear understanding was security assistance money would not come until President Zelensky committed to pursue the investigation. My clear understanding was they weren't going to get the money until President Zelensky committed to pursue the investigations. Now, with all due respect, Ambassador, your clear understanding was obviously wrong <laughs> because it didn't happen. President said, Zelensky didn't announce he was going <laughs> He said with all due respect. <laughs> he said with all due respect. It's no problem yeah, at all. As long as you say that. So, yeah, this is just yet another just another issue here where they're he's saying oh, you know my clear understanding was that we would withhold the aid until they said they were going to initiate the investigation yet they did go ahead and give them the foreign aid and they had not in, initiated any type of investigation yeah. whatsoever so that's why i said obviously and ukraine didn't even respect, know until the article came out yeah they didn't even know that they were withholding any right. kind of aid they, it's not like they called them and said hey we're going to withhold this aid until until this happens yeah. that's that's not what that's not what happened so i just have you know i have a lot of doubts about this and then there's one more like kind of funny thing that we'll talk about some legal proceedings here in just one sec from one one more clip i wanted to play from schiff and uh we're not in favor of him did not support him and we're out to get him if i go to and i'll, I'll allow the question but um are you are asking? You really, are you parliamentary inquiry? Are you seriously interrupting our time? No, I, here? I will allow the question. I won't. I won't dock this from the time. Um, I just want to be clear, Ambassador. Let's take one second here to admire. When I know Charlie, you're watching uh, a delayed version, so you haven't seen it yet. But we all need to take a second to admire. Now, I know some of you guys are listening on the podcast, but for those of you that are watching live, Adam Schiff's eyes are just creepy as uh, i've ever seen to tell you the truth <laughs> i mean they are just nuts so was he this. wearing colored contacts i'm not sure what's happening but this guy has had some kind of surgery to have partially some of his eyelids removed i'm pretty sure because it is ridiculous like if you've ever seen anyone like try so hard to open their eyes just as as hard as possible, that's what he looks like all the time. It's hilarious. I I'd never actually watched any videos of him before, but so this is a how much Botox can one guy handle? This is an <laughs> argument they were having because they decide to have this argument over fa an objection of facts, not an evidence, and while they went through the whole majority thing they were talking about things that they weren't objecting and saying that you're 
you're making a conclusion on facts that are not found in evidence. They let that go the whole time. But then when the minority, the Republicans start doing the questioning, Schiff pipes in with this facts not in evidence thing. And so this one of these uh, one of these uh, House members got really upset about that. Verify the things that counsel has asked you in the prerequisite of the question. That's fine. Otherwise, in questions from the majority or the minority that may assume facts not in evidence before you, uh, you should be cautioned about that. Mr. Chairman, point of order. The time is with uh, Mr. Uh, with Minority Counsel. Uh, Mr. Ratcliffe. Chairman, um, I sat here through the first 45 minutes and literally had an objection to almost the foundation of every question that Mr. Goldman asked regarding facts not in evidence, leading. But House Resolution 660 does not say that we, under, we are under the federal rules of evidence. If it is your position that I should be asserting objections to questions that violate the federal rules of evidence, let me know now, because this hearing is going to change significantly. As I said, Mr. Radcliffe, I will allow the question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the, so is that one of the representatives or uh, yeah, that was counsel? Yeah. That yeah. Was... So, you know, like when you're in, when you're in a, when you're in a court and someone is talking to a witness and they're asking questions, if they start asking questions based on something that has, you know, there's no evidence of it having any basis whatsoever, mm -hmm. the lawyer can stand up and say, objection, your honor, facts, not in evidence. And so because it wasn't submitted. Yeah. So the, you're you're basically asking leading questions or assuming something that is factual uh, that there is no evidence basis of. And so this guy's obviously upset because he's like, there's no evidence basis for any of this stuff that anyone's that anyone's asking. And he's questions saying that about. he objected for the first 45 minutes. But. Yeah. He, he was saying that he he personally had objections the whole time, but that their actual resolution did not allow for the facts, not an evidence objection. But then. And Adam Schiff, the guy who's running the whole show, decided to interrupt one of the other Republican congressmen and say, I'll allow this question, but just so you know, we're on a, you know, you should this be is cautioned. Fact, yeah, you should be cautioned. This is a facts, not an evidence thing. And so they got really upset about it. So anyway, do you, do you understand why we don't talk about this? I don't know how many minutes this has been, but what a complete waste of time yes. this has been. Such a complete waste of time. Well, it was so funny far. to see to see Schiff's eyes. Did you see that? Yes, man, that was those things. If you guys are quite listening on the, the spectacle, that, trust me. <laughs> go look at a video of Adam Schiff talking, and you you will appreciate the fact that we decided to talk about this today. Yeah, I, pr I promise you. All so, these do nothing Democrats. Yeah, you know, trying to one up the other guys. <laughs> Oh, what a circus! Uh, so you know we're at a we're at about forty five minutes right now, and, and uh, so what I was going to say basically to round this out is this is just a big political show, and to me it shows a lot of why we want the government to have less power overall. This is how government operates, regardless of who's in control. All, all the time. You know, we have a Republican president and a Republican Senate right now. And a couple of years ago, we had a Republican House, too. And this is still, this is how government operates. And this is why you can't rely on them to fix any of your problems. Like, if you've got a problem with, if you've got a problem with health care, you've got a problem with, with anything going on in your life, gun violence, just whatever it is, 
is this really the group of people that you want to rely on to if you've got a major problem a life or death issue in your life you want it to go through this process all the time let me and on that point let me speak specifically to republicans right now because as you mentioned for the first two years of trump's presidency we had a republican controlled house a republican controlled senate and obviously a republican president at least in there was an r next to all of their names um and they weren't able to repeal Obamacare. Now, when Obama was no, president, they didn't try. That's why they weren't no, able listen. to. <laughs> and when Obama was president, they voted to repeal Obamacare 18 times. Yeah. 18 times since Obamacare was passed in 2012. Throughout the rest of Obama's presidency, they, they voted 18 times to repeal it. But guess what? When they actually get control, they won't even bring it up for a vote. They'd be like, nope. oh, we have nothing to replace it with. As you said multiple times, I think. Uh, Milton Friedman said this like if yeah, I think uh, well I heard Ron Paul say it but I don't know who he was if he was quoting someone I think I've heard Friedman say it even. yeah it's like okay what do you replace cancer with yeah you don't need to repeal and replace they come up with all these ridiculous terms repeal and replace repeal and replace yeah how about just repeal it yeah you know how about we just get rid of it erase it deregulate decommission mm. gone erase yeah, but they, that's not the objective because if it was the objective, it then would they, have been done. They would have brought it up to a vote when they had all three of those, uh, all three of those positions, Republican control. Now, some people on our page will say, "Well, they didn't have a, they didn't have sixty votes, they didn't have sixty senators, so they didn't actually have full, they didn't have a supermajority." And that, I don't care. Yeah, that doesn't matter. They you, did it eighteen times. You don't have to have sixty senators to vote on something at, at all like that's not the case now people can you're saying that you want them to have a philip a filibuster proof majority is what you're saying at that point in time if someone gets up there to filibuster then sit there for 18 hours until they get done and then vote on it just right. like every time Rand paul has gotten up and filibustered something they still just voted on it when afterwards. it got done yes like this whole like they didn't have a filibuster proof majority in the senate so so they couldn't do anything about it so are who you, cares so are you saying that unless we have 61 republican senators then we will never vote for a single thing that republicans say that they want to do there has to be 61 no that can't be the case and this is why you can't leave it up to them to do anything the honest answer is they don't care about you no no matter what they say they care about getting reelected they care about getting reelected that's it yeah and as to nate's point this is exactly why we advocate for the least amount of government possible which could one day be none but right now at <laughs> least let's scale it back some let's let liberty thrive that's what this is all about yeah let freedom ring let freedom ring. Let it ring. Yeah, that's Let just... Let the songbird sing. And if you are, you know, if you're a socialist and you actually accidentally came upon this video, just realize that this is the political process. And do you really want your health care and your housing and your environment and every single part of your life to be dictated by this body of people that change out every two years for the house and four years for the president six years for the senate do you really think that that is a good long-term solution for the health care of hundreds of millions of americans is for these people to have control over it and um the answer is no the answer is no to that by the way so uh, you guys, go ahead, follow us on Instagram. That is 
at Good Morning Liberty. Follow us on Twitter at Good AM Liberty. Look us up on Facebook, Good Morning Liberty, and go to goodmorningliberty.us if you want to read some great articles on politics and economics. One thing we didn't mention at the beginning, which is subscri- subscribe to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, if you're on an iPhone, you should hit that purple button, subscribe, Spotify. It's a green button that says follow. Other apps, it could be orange. It doesn't matter. Subscribe, follow. You want to get this episode directly to your phone the next time. If you're watching live, then you'll get a notification on Facebook or YouTube or wherever you're at. And you'll uh, we go live every single day, five days a week. So you don't want to miss this at Good Morning Liberty. And uh, as Trump said, you know, in our interview with him at Politicon, <laughs> You it was a good not, interview. It was. It was a really good interview. And you do not want to miss what Good Morning Liberty has to offer because we're bringing the business yeah. to you. Liberty in your face. So, And then uh, if you want to support this show, you can. And we ask for your support because uh, communism and socialism is a real problem. Nate and I, uh, our sole duty in life is to defeat the commies. And to do that, we That's need your thing. help. And you can do that two ways. Um, there's actually a place where you can just go support the show. And so a monthly donation, that would be perfect or awesome. We're, um, you know, we're coming up with other cool things and gifts and things that we can give you guys. We're going to do another giveaway that we're working on. So we'll probably announce that next week. The other way that you can support us is if you want something in return, which is how free market works, <laughs> is we have all created all kinds of cool things that you could get. We have Bernie Lies mugs. We have awesome t-shirts. Nate may even put some on display for you. We look at the last couple episodes. Free Snowden, Bernie Lies, all that wonderful stuff. Uh, we even have Capitalism is Greater Than Socialism, which is the ultimate truth. So you can access that by going to goodmorningliberty.us slash shop. Or there's another website that might be easier for you, which is GML, which stands for Good Morning Liberty. So GMLConnect.com. And that gives you all the links to everything Nate mentioned, which is our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It gives you access to the shop. It'll give you access to giveaways that we're going to be doing and all kinds of cool stuff. So go to GMLConnect.com. If you guys do all of that, if you leave us a rating and review, Epstein didn't kill himself. I hope you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.